This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574 288 1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. Uh, since our last podcast, Notre Dame's hired an offensive line coach. I think it was a shock to all three of us, among other people on message boards and Twitter everywhere. It's Jeff Quinn, uh, longtime Brian Kelly aide. I guess, what was what was your first reaction when you heard about this? That I thought Jeff Quinn was going to get hired last year when it seemed like the ship was sinking. After 2016, when all those staff openings opened up, I thought he was going to find a role like as tight ends coach or something. And then once they hired that, what turned out to be a one-year fantastic staff, I was pretty shocked that um, his name resurfaced in this role. You know, when you research Jeff Quinn and talk to people about Jeff Quinn, the first thing they say is, synergy with Brian Kelly, that's the word Dave Burke used to. We'll talk a little bit more later. Dave Burke covered Cincinnati during the Kelly-Quinn years and prior, and that he knows his stuff. And then there's the back channel things of it's strange that Jeff Quinn got this job. I I would have to say surprise, not shocked. I mean, how can you be shocked knowing Brian Kelly's uh, you know affinity to guys that he's worked with before? And and that you know, I mean, that's not a negative. That's not always a negative thing. That can be a very positive thing. I mean, chemistry is important. Um, so I would say surprise, not shocked. But when you hear a lot of talk that comes out of Notre Dame, um, it leading up to this point, it was not positive about Jeff Quinn. Now from this point on, all that matters is does Jeff Quinn do a good job in coaching the offensive line? And then, and that's how we'll deal with it. But there were 14 guys that were originally looked at Four were interviewed, Justin Fry, Bob Bostad, Joe Gilbert, and, and Jeff Quinn as well. And I would have to say that based upon the reaction to some of these guys, they didn't do a very good job of narrowing it down to four. Um, you know, Bostad apparently came off as a, a little too smug, I think, to some people. Justin Fry's uh, approach to coaching offensive linemen didn't sit well necessarily with a lot of people. And at the end of the day, from what we understand, Joe Gilbert was the preferred choice beyond Brian Kelly. Um, you know, he had he had a previous tie with uh, with Chip Long. Etc. And I think he made a fairly good impression with the players. But uh, it is what it is. Um, I wrote an editorial the day after the decision was made. It was received well by some and not by others. If you read that, you'll you'll notice that I didn't say anything about Jeff Quinn's ability as an offensive line coach. There's no reason why he can't do a fine job. He did for Brian Kelly before, and all that matters now is how he relates to his offensive line and his fellow coaches i think a couple of things one on the alternatives if we were having this podcast and they hired joe gilbert but we had done no reporting on the issue what's all it was just like fan impression and us reading bios i think we would have been like joe gilbert why did they hire that guy he's with the colts the colts are terrible but then when you start to talk more to people around the program he was thought of very highly so i think all i'm saying there is you don't really know what's going on inside the walls of the Goog as much as, you know, you would like to think from a message board, um, 
and Gilbert was, even though he on paper probably had the worst resume of those three, was the guy that probably would have meshed best of those three. That's why I said last week, you know, right. bio reading, you know, we sit here and, and become experts all of a sudden on guys that basically all we're doing is reading bios and trying to pick up details here and there. But here's something, like, I am just shocked that Notre Dame's offensive line coach hire has zero seasons at the Power 5 level coaching offensive linemen. Has not been an offensive line coach since 2009. And, I mean, as much as Notre Dame is sort of touting the four draft picks from Central Michigan and the two from Cincinnati, they went in the first, fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth, and seventh. So that's not really a great resume line for me either. I do believe what I hear from people around Notre Dame that Personality or, or non-personality, Jeff Quinn's more than qualified for the job, despite some of the things I just said. Um, that the connection with Brian Kelly and the fact that he has been an offensive line coach for 20-plus seasons at the college level, even if it hasn't been the power five level, would make him qualified. But I'm just I'm just shocked that from when this search started, when he stand left, and we were hearing NFL experience, swing for the fences, home run higher, you know, Notre Dame swinging a big stick on here – then to to end up with sort of just an internal promotion, that is a that's just a real surprise to me the way the way that it started to where it finished. Yeah, just to spin it forward, talking to I talked to two Buffalo former Buffalo players um, of I wouldn't say various stature because one of them was a well thought of walk on in the program, and one one was a starter, and the first thing they both said is he knows his stuff, like Jeff Quinn. Attention to detail is out of this world. And it was interesting to hear that after I had talked to Dave Burke, who covered them for three years and Cincy together, who actually had occasion to watch Jeff Quinn during a week put a game plan together. Because we get to do that a lot with Notre Dame, sit in the, <laughs> oh, sit yeah. in the, in the meeting rooms. Um, it, that's He had mentioned separately, no stone is unturned. It's the attention to detail. And because of that, Brian Kelly has the ultimate has the ultimate faith in him as a coach. And that's kind of where their synergy comes from. Now, he was the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. And people are always saying, well, Jeff Quinn's going to be calling plays, the sarcastic Notre Dame fan. He didn't call plays at, at Cincinnati, so that, that's not something. But just to hear the attention to detail thing, that bodes well for the future. Obviously, that's huge, and then his relationship with the linemen will be... I bring this up as Captain Obvious, but Harry Eastan's relationship with the linemen was, if on a scale of 0 to 100, 100. They absolutely love for, for some Easton. of them. For those that we not, have I would that. not put it at 100. Would you put it at... I wouldn't put Steve Elmer, Tristan Hodger, Parker Boudreau at 100. That's fair, but would you put it? Do the Ellis guys need to be? Steve Elmer needs to be, but would you put it at a hundred for the guys that? Oh, do you put it at ninety nine for the guys that matter? Not to be yeah. unfair to guys no, like I mean, Parker Pedro. I, I think for the front, do you need to get along with them all? The NFL caliber guys, I'd put it at ninety nine. For guys who are backups or just have different personalities, I'd put it in the twenties. That's fair, though. But I mean, I think that's probably true at a lot of positions. I. I and I don't want to get into like well Harry Heastan was overrated because he is no longer coaching at the University of Notre Dame. Harry Heastan is a great freaking offensive line coach, but I, but I think people confuse that with he was a great offensive line coach for every player on the roster. That's just not true. I guess that's not possible. But Jeff it Quinn won't be liked by every Buffalo player I interview. We don't do a no, lot of interviews know, with with it. Parker Boudreaux and and Jimmy. What's Jimmy Burn. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Burn. Uh, we don't do a lot of interviews with those guys. But let me just get back to one thing you said, Tim. You said uh, you talked about Quinn's attention to detail. Quinn's attention to detail of offensive line play 
as an offensive coordinator in a spread offense, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and how that how, how that well, two matters. Of those guys meant as a head coach, but I mean, I think attention to detail is obviously part of his makeup. Probably it would be the thing if he's if if you get so. Guys how much that does it coach. matter that he was a, he was a spread offense coordinator? Now working for not not working for, but you know, under an offensive coordinator who wants to go too tight end and run the ball as much as he possibly can behind a great offensive line. Well, I think that's the, those are the questions we won't know for the end of November because things can look good until you know what you know what things look good when they're going well. You know when you have good leadership. Yeah. You know when you have good leadership on a football team when you're four and zero. Yeah. Well, you making so, a point about attention to, to detail as a head coach that makes a difference. Yeah, that's it, more positive when you put it that way. Yeah, it's and I, I I do think the whole spread offense aspect of it is it's I, a it's little just, it's overblown a little yeah, bit. I get that like, he's not the offense coordinator. Chip Long's no, still I the get that, and still the play caller. So my impression is that Chip Long he spent a lot of time in the offensive line room when Harry Heastan was here because Chip Long told me that in Orlando at uh, at a press conference. I think the same thing will be true with Jeff Quinn, and Jeff Quinn is going to teach. The blocks that Chip Long, Chip Long wants run. So, I, I think the the whole like, well, he comes from Brian Kelly's chuck it all over the yard offense. I, I guess I just don't think that is as relevant. All as right, but when you break down how much time Jeff Quinn has spent in a practice working on pass blocking and run blocking mm-hmm. in his career, there's probably a, a a pretty big disparity there. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, especially compared to the guy that he's following, who has been coaching. This group up to this point, who probably spent a lot of time on pass blocking, frankly, outside of last season. <laughs> you know, begrudgingly. Yeah, let's not pretend yeah, right. that Notre Dame ran well, for three thousand yards no, that's every true. year. Okay, let, was right. here. okay, the last. Yes, that's a good point. The year it worked last year. Yes. Yes. Yeah, everything There's good. been there's been ba- there's been bad fits every step of the way here. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Speaking of bad fits, Louisville's new defense coordinator. <laughs> You know, you want to get into that? If there is a football god, and I believe there is, from what I've <laughs> I covered, I, cover, I went to Notre Dame. I know yeah. football gods, and he is a vengeful one. Uh, if there is a football god, he has a sense of humor. That guy's going to last at least fourteen games, right? Well, yeah, at you least. wouldn't think he's going to get fired after. It happened. Yeah. He did at Auburn, so it could happen again. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I don't think it's going to happen at Louisville. And what would you pay out of pocket to have that be the opener this year instead of Michigan? Because <laughs> I'm I'm going in for two hundred if they switch them. I right? would Michigan Louisville this year switch. <laughs> The games. <laughs> oh, this, yeah, oh, this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, Open this year with that game. No, I would, I'd throw in a couple, hon. Yeah. I mean, just think about like how intrigued we were by, well, what if Everett Goldson goes to Texas and then they open it? Like, but then, oh, well, what if Malik Zaire goes to um, uh, North, North Carolina? Carolina. That would be exciting. Now, this just blows them all out of the water. Yeah. We're going to have to wait a little so while. The start that's of good uh, Phil Dracovic's Heisman campaign, September 2nd, Speaking of Michigan and Harbaugh's. <laughs> As most so people know, segue into basketball. Yeah, well, yeah. As most people know, uh, John Harbaugh was at the Notre Dame basketball game Saturday night. I didn't see him. It was pointed out to me. He was sitting in the front row behind the the basket. I'm also told that he has a daughter that's a pretty elite lacrosse player, and Notre Dame has a good lacrosse program. So there's a connection there. But uh, um, trust me when I tell you that John Harbaugh had the best seat in the house in the front row underneath the basket. Uh, yeah. Why don't we? <laughs> Spin it into hoops then. Okay. Tim, you were there. Yeah. Uh, fifth straight loss. Six 
So the sixth one is probably coming tonight. I think that will be chalked up as our really negative news after a podcast recording. Notre Dame at Duke it was down to like about six scholarship players. They're just out of guys. Yeah, they're just man. It was so obvious um, Saturday night. Virginia Tech came in and played well. They shot. Let me first of all say, and I asked this of, of Mike Bray after the game. I mean, Virginia Tech shot fifty six percent from three, which is an outrageous number, but it felt like seventy. You know, they they're they always shoot well. In the, I don't mean from three. Yeah, you had it, said that. In the you, preview, it was in your preview. You had it. You mentioned it to me. Uh, the as, most effective field goal team. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wait a minute, how do I have Notre Dame winning this game? I just figured it was time. Well, and, I'm, I'm not going with that feeling. Yeah, you can't like, do that anymore. Now they were favored, and the, and the line moved in Notre Dame's favor, so yeah. it wasn't that weird. But, man, they, they are an efficient offense, Virginia Tech. They're usually no good on defense, but Notre Dame doesn't have enough weapons to contend with what they have. Now, and I did know, I, I was tempted to call you and tell you to find a bookie and gather all your money because I did find out about Farrell a little bit earlier in the day on Thursday uh, but you know then Mike Bray revealed it uh, uh, you know later at his press conference but no they Pete to get back to your point I mean you're you're sitting there watching this game and you're saying they don't have enough offensive talent to to win this game oh look they don't have enough defensive talent yeah. to win this game either and they made a run, man. It, it, it felt like one of those games where, okay, they're just not going to be able to make a run. And they made a run. And I will say the Notre Dame crowd was, by Notre Dame crowd standards, was absolutely great on Saturday night and helped give them a chance. But, you know, here's uh, TJ Gibbs, who's played 281 of the last 290 minutes, which is just uh, absolutely outrageous for any player. And he scores a career-high 27 Hits five out of ten from three, you know. But they, at the end of the game, they don't have enough. And Nikola Jogo has a clean look, I guess, from pretty far behind the the three point strike. That was from a my, good look. It was, from it my was, perspective, I couldn't see how far behind he was. Take, you got to take that shot. But you absolutely have to take that shot. And and I think you know, having watched that kid shoot before, I think in time he's going to be a, a very good three point shooter, uh, and would will make that shot uh, later in his career. But Man, just you know, and Bray go. He opens in a zone, thinking, "Okay, I got to rest my players. I only got seven guys in the rotation." And they come out smoking. They go to a man defense, and they're still smoking. They hit the first six, start the second half. That's why I'm telling you, I was reach. I would when they would go up for a three pointer. I was going down to market. You good. know, yeah, because yeah. it was like they had hit. How many in a row are they going to make? So Virginia Tech has advanced in your NCAA tournament bracket already, right? From that one performance, you're yeah, seeing there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and you know they have a big man that's a bowl down there well, too. Chris, and Clark has had done a great job against Nordim off the bench for two straight years. If Nordim had him off the bench, it would be a different oh, world. Oh right my now. god! Is, yeah, I don't know what you know. John Mooney's there. doing a great job. I mean, he's progressing every game, and TJ Gibbs played well and. You know, it wasn't one of Gebbins' better games, but he still almost had a, a double double. Uh, they fought, man. I mean, you got you got to look at this team, and they're, they're just they're they're too committed to to not work hard. Or, yeah, they'll work know, hard. They'll work hard, but they just needed to to take that Carolina game that was there, and they had three chances to take the Louisville yeah. game. I mean, this wouldn't be as big of a deal. It wouldn't have been a good loss, but uh, there's a loss coming tonight. Yeah, and then I, it's, it's going to be tough to win at NC State. But you know what? But you have time to prepare. And for NC that State's bit. not going to be. I mean, NC State will have played better against North Carolina than they will against Notre Dame. Yeah. That's just the nature of college. You know, basketball. they keep. I mean, you can't. You, we can sit here and say, "Oh, they're going to lose there." Well, I mean, they're, they're going to lose to Duke. But I mean, they're not going to lose every close game. 
although they pretty much did when they went six and ten in their first year in ACC. But I don't. I, I mean, I just don't think they'll have it because they will get Farrell back. Um, you know, hopefully for NC State, but I, you know, not sure about that. Definitely not tonight. And then the big thing is Colson, how much practice time he gets and how much he can actually uh, play. But my, Mike Bray said again the other day when we had a, a gathering with him on Thursday, I mean, it's it's eight weeks. It's not going to be before that. And when they're adamant about eight weeks, that tells me it could be nine and maybe ten. Season's over at that point. Yeah. It is. I mean, it'd be, it'd be with the loss coming tonight, it's you're hitting miracle round if you, if you find your way in the NCAA tournament. But... There are winnable, a couple winnable road games out there. Just because we think they would lose to Boston College on the road in North Carolina State on the road doesn't mean you have to. They're definitely a battle-tested team. They're just going to need some really big breaks and uh, a and little bit of shooting. Yeah, from, and somebody yeah. hit a shot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when the, game, when the game's online, hit a damn shot. Yeah. You know? you know, they, uh, that's what my point is. They We could be singing a different tune right now had they just been able to pull out the two winnable games against two better opponents at home. Notre Dame, through very little fault of their own, is not going to make the NCAA tournament. It looks like, but they, through some fault of their own, they could have beaten those two teams. They yeah. were there to beat them. Yeah. There were not were. have been miracles. They, they just would have been home wins. Right. And if you, you know, if Jogo hits a shot, you beat, <laughs> you know, and then get one defensive stop, you, you beat Virginia Tech, and now you're 500 instead of right. three and five, and you go to Duke and you're still going to lose. But at least you still have that opportunity to win all your games at home, the scenario that I painted that no longer exists. Yeah. I mean, they're, they'll be three and six after tonight. Their final nine games, five of them are on the road, three of them are home, or four of them are home. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to see Notre Dame going six and three. Right now, you'll you know presumably you'll have Farrell back, and Farrell you know but, closer yeah, to a hundred percent than he was when he played against um, Clemson. Clemson. But it you know it is what it is now, and uh, I'm not going to be making any more bold predictions until something really dramatic happens, and and that's not going to happen tonight. All right, on that note, that's the end of segment one. Irish Illustrated Insider will come back. Questions with our readers next. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller. 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider Segment 2. The first thing we want to address, Notre Dame picked up a commitment during Junior Day yesterday from K.J. Wallace, a cornerback out of Georgia. Uh, some connections to Derek Allen, so there's familiarity with Notre Dame going into it. Also a really good fit for the school, a high academic prospect. Stanford was very interested in him as well. And as always, a really important position. So to be able to get defensive backs out of Georgia, I'm uh, I'm for that 100 out of 100 times. Yeah, you know, we talk about good fits for Notre Dame and those that project. This, this kid projects. He's at the Lovett School private school. You can look up how much it costs to go to school there per year. It's pretty salty. Uh, and, you know, the but connect- he's going to college for free. Yeah, so. right, right, exactly. Um, and But it costs about as much as a college <laughs> does, but not, not Notre Dame. But anyway, good connection with Derek Allen, so that certainly didn't hurt. And um, K.J. Wallace said that, you know, he loved the place, uh, but his parents probably love it even more. So it's a good fit. And, and I, 
you know, he's small and and he's going to remain small. He's I don't think he's going to be a kid that, that can really bulk up a whole lot. And I don't think that he has I don't think he has elite speed, but those are the only two negatives that I have about the kid because I think he really knows how to play the cornerback position. I think he plays it fearlessly with his size. He's fundamentally sound. Um, you know, he, he's he's very quick. He's just, you know, he's not very fast, and I think that'll prevent him from being a, a kick returner on the next level. But I, I like I like the choice because I think he's a good fit. He wants to be at Notre Dame. He's a cornerback that has some, you know, short space explosiveness, and I think he's a really nice catch for Notre Dame. I like the what they've done the last three years it's at, at the position. I mean, this is... Mentioned small guys, best player on the team is a small guy. Right, he's he's Sean yeah. Crawford like without that. I mean, Julian Love. That, Julian oh, okay. Love's not a big guy either. He just no, looks he's like not. It when he's tackling. Yeah, he does. Yeah, right. It's, uh, you know, I like what they've done the last few years of position. It's another one. Um, and then, of course, more importantly, the safety's coming in this year. So I, I mean, the defensive backfield for all the struggles they had, I don't think that's going to continue. In yeah, the, I, no, I agree. I mean, years. I think they, I, I think they've done a really, really nice job. I. I you know he's he's Sean Crawford size. I don't think that he has the flat out speed that right. Sean Crawford does, but short space quickness, absolutely. Yeah, I mean I think after last year's complete whiff at the position to go Wilkins, Bracy, and Houston Griffith, and then you start with KJ Wallace, and there's a good chance that you know you'll add another at least one more corner and a couple more safeties. Um, and you have I think, veterans of Love Pride Vaughn. For yeah, a couple years. and I think. Notre Dame, this is a question from Twitter, but just sort of about how uh, I think the recruiting operation has changed or evolved a little bit. I think that they're getting smart about a lot less in Florida and a lot more in Georgia. And it's it's long overdue, um, but I think that Brian Kelly has sort of come to terms with the fact that, you know, Florida, we're, we're putting a lot of resources into Florida and not getting much payoff mm-hmm. on Saturday afternoons uh, during the fall. Well, and when you can go to a place like the Lovett School to recruit and you have... There are athletes, yeah. players there that that can play at this level. That's a no-brainer for Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so you KJ Wallace. You go back to Isaac Rochelle, private school kid. Um, you know, Derek Allen is not private school, but you know, great family, good sort of academic background there. Um, I just think that there there are so many more options for them in Georgia. Pace Academy, where they tried to sort of get in with somewhat unsuccessfully, aside from uh, Mick Asoff, the walk-on, you know, Jamari Sellier was there, Andrew Thomas was there, um, there's a running back whose name I'm blanking on, but they offered late last year, he ended up at Duke. Um, there's just a lot more options in that state that I think project well to Notre Dame, opposed to only going to St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> you know, th- that's pretty much it in Florida. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin Austin is... I think will ultimately prove to be a, a major exception there moving forward. Um, so it might sound strange in a after a cycle where they did take some guys out of Florida, um, but I, but I think that's going to sort of be um, maybe the end of that, and we're going to be looking at these last two cycles as the time where Notre Dame pushed more into Georgia and left Florida behind. Way to cover your bases and get Mikas off of the podcast. I, he he, might, he might be a listener. <laughs> See it after the, after the Twitter meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> Our next question, uh, Golden by Name. Who are you most excited to see take the next step in their development or productivity in 2018 among the sophomores? I, I, I love this question. I, I think there, there are so many stuff. guys to, to choose from. Um, you know, I, I guess the first guy that comes to mind for me defensively is Khalid Kareem and just how high is his upside because he took such a huge step up 
in 2017. Um, you know, I mean, I'll throw, I'll just throw out a couple names because, I mean, you know, Ian Book. I mean, obviously, we want to see what what Ian Book Maybe can the most do. Important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you want to see what is the next step and what opportunity does he have, and and you know. I mean, can he win the starting quarterback job? That really just comes down to the coaching staff deciding that, yes, he won the, you know? I mean, well, I, I realize his, his he has competition to, has no, something to say with it. Yeah, well, if yeah. If Wimbush improves dramatically, yeah. he's the quarterback, and right? I And I realize that, that Book, has, yes, and Book, okay. yes. High upside, who has the higher upside? Yes, of course, Brandon Wimbush. You also got a kid coming in, Jerkovic, who may have a say in that as well. But it, and I, and I think it's important that people understand that Ian Book has struggled on the, the practice field as well. But when he has come into games, or when, at least in the last one, and I thought for his first start against North Carolina, he did throw two picks. He played, they had him throw too much in that game. He played well. They had him throw 25 first half passes. Yeah, that would, doesn't make any sense yeah. for the team Notre Dame had this year. That's just too much on him. But he played well in that game. He, then he got... I mean, he had made a bad decision in the in the red zone. I would say would be the yeah. downside of that one. I mean, he's got he's a little bit of a gunslinger sometimes, so he's gonna you know he trusts he has confidence in himself, and he's gonna try to force some things in there. He's just gotta he's a little better judgment sometimes. I would go with two guys who have played a lot, but I don't think have played nearly as well as they can in Dalen Hayes and Tommy Kramer because um, I, I think when we get these kinds of questions and they're they're fun questions. Uh, I think the default is like, well, who's somebody who hasn't really played a right. whole lot who might be ready to take a next step? Like, I'm looking for Dalen Hayes and Tommy Kramer to go from like pretty good to really, really good because um, you're going to need those kinds of seasons. Like, you can only get by on the Khalid Kareem out of nowhere to oh, that's a this is a positive contributor. You need some guys to to be like Julian Love type. Of seasons, we all like uh, Kareem out of high school a lot, though. We all had him really high. It just, it, he just yeah, disappeared I, so much off our radar. Right, it was I forgot to say his name for about a year. But I think we all like Dalen Hayes more. Yes, and I don't think that Dalen Hayes did enough last season to so warrant that how much he was right. hyped up coming out of high school. I think I, mean, I had him first on that. He list. was a five star in one service, uh, and then Tommy Kramer was a five star in twenty four seven. You know, would you say Tommy Kramer's looked like a five star offensive lineman, the highest offensive lineman prospect of the Brian Kelly era? Heck no, but that would lead you to believe that there's a whole lot more for him to develop over the next maybe three seasons, which totally fine. You know, an offensive lineman is not going to peak as a second-year player, um, but there's there's just a lot of room for both those guys to improve, and I, I think that they're, um, Dalen Hayes in particular, I think is probably sort of overrated by the fan base uh, in terms of what he is or has done so far, I think there's a ton of upside for him as well. Well, I mean, you look for keys to 2018 season. Those are two good ones to point to, one on each side of the football. I, you know, I, I never thought I never thought Tommy Kerrigan was a five-star, but I thought he was a four-star, and I thought he had a pretty, all things considered, now he shared the spot with Hainsey, but all things considered, I thought he had a pretty good first year in the program, first year of playing. My guys are the ones that flashed last year. Julian Aquara, who I think can be more than just a first half of the season pass rusher. I think he can be a whole season pass rusher. I know. <laughs> Look, because he plays at a position with Dalen Hayes, and I don't think yeah. he's going to beat him out. But I think Julian Aquara can make an impact weekly as a pass rusher sure. and be a, a legitimate guy. And then, and I'm going to straddle this line here because I talked about it a lot last August, but... The starting running back is probably for the football team is probably Tony Jones Jr. Right, considering everything, almost, almost every, certainly everything we know about the running back room. Yeah, 
apologies to Mick Asaph. He gets to be on this twice yeah. now. But so Tony Jones Jr. has to be able to fight through the little injuries, or even even the real injury. I'm not gonna say little injuries. He might have been, had a terrible right. ankle sprain, right. but. From what we were told, he did not approach his rehab in a Drew Tranquil way. That's fair to say. Yeah. So, Tony Jones has to be a quality level lead running back, and then you hope he has a sidekick in that realm. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I I, I just want to throw out a couple more names just because I think it's a fun question. The guys that, you know, Jonathan Jones is a guy that could get passed up, you know, it's just, if they move Drew Tranquil, which it looks like they're going to to Buck. But he looked... He looked pretty darn, darn good a couple times that he got in late in the game, and I, you know, I mean, I think he's a player. He's undersized, but I'm curious to see how uh, he looks this spring. I'd like to see him what he would look like if if Rover doesn't work out for others and Tranquil ends up playing there. Right. I think Jones would do well. I think it's a good fallback plan that Jonathan Jones can play the middle for you if it doesn't work out. It will work out for Tranquil, but Rover has to work out for yeah. Somebody else. Simon or Coromo or somebody else. Right. Wow. Troy, yeah. Troy Pride Jr., a guy that had a role later in the season. Um, you know, I mean, I, I I don't think that he breaks into the starting lineup, but that's a nice, you know, if you want to go to dime. Well, you need they, three corners. Really, you need yeah. more good corners. As many as you can have. Well, and, you know, it ties, in, it ties in with Vaughn. I mean, does Vaughn have have a future at Notre Dame? Where where would you, where what, where would you put him? I was going to bring up Vaughn because I know they brought in some young safeties. Does it make sense to have Dante Vaughn toiling as your fifth corner right now when you have no idea what you have at safety? Are you moving him up or back? Are you moving him up? You're moving him to a place where he could impact the two-deep depth chart. I I mean, no, are you moving him up to linebacker or back to I'm safety. moving him back to safety. Okay. Um, I just don't, unless Dante, I know we know Dante Vaughn had some trouble staying on the practice field, and that will not get you a spot when you have Julian Love, Sean Crawford, Troy Pride, and Nick Watkins. So first step is probably him not, is him making it through every practice. He had back spasms last spring. He had a neck injury in August. Yeah, he started, he's, the injuries put him He showed so the much as a freshman when they threw him in there. I mean, he was just as good as Troy Pride was when they put him in the game as a yeah, freshman. I don't, I, I mean, I don't know that he's, Technique sound. I just think that he's long and athletic, and he made some plays. I'm not sure. I just want to see him do that more. Right. Yeah. 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 I like guys that make plays. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, Here's a good. Our next question kind of ties in, I guess, because it's two guys from the same class. Um, From Coach CFT for the 2018 season, pick the greater of A. Javon McKinley receptions or B. CJ Holmes carries, and he understands that CJ Holmes is currently not a part of the program. Yeah. I'll just marry that to, because my answer is going to be Holmes. Um, there's a question from Twitter from Mr. Yips. He wants to know what's up with C.J. Holmes and D.M. McIntosh working their way back into the program. I'd say there's almost no shot for D.M. McIntosh. C.J. Holmes is def- has definitely a shot, which is why I would answer C.J. Holmes for this, because I, I think Javon McKinley's probably good for about 12 catches next year. Um, C.J. Holmes, if he's the fourth running back, Probably good for about 35 carries. So I'm going with C.J. Holmes on this one. I didn't think of it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the opportunity, it's easier to hand the damn thing to him than it yeah. is to throw it to somebody. I'm, I'm going with Holmes for sure <laughs> on this one. Um, I think Javon McKinley probably either has zero catches or upwards of 20. I think if he stays on the team, he probably makes a little bit of inroads as a wide-open wide receiver position um but there's a chance he doesn't have any catches too yeah i i just can't see him 
playing for Notre Dame next year and having absolutely zero contributions for a second straight the year. Pro- I feel like the problem with McKinley is like a body type being too similar to Claypool and too similar to Boykin. Yeah, that's a good point. That's so a- it's like if you're the same guy as Claypool or Boykin, but just not as good, because if, if he was as good, he would have played, but he is not. And then you've got sort of these the change-up prospects behind him, Michael Young, Coach well, like Steph a likes a lot. You know, then you're into the the Braden Lindsay, Kevin Austin. You know, Micah Jones falls in with Claypool, McKinley, and Boykin in terms of body type. Um, That's why I put zero catches. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's and it, you know, Fink's there too. So, I, I guess I, I look at McKinley. If things broke well for him, it's hard for me to to rate him as any higher than fifth among the receivers. Yeah, that's fair. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, completely agree. I agree with you that Holmes is going to have more, more, yeah, more okay. carries than, than McKinley will. I just, I'm, I'm wondering if, I don't see even a, I don't even know why I brought it up. I don't see a middling year out of McKinley. Does that make sense? It's <laughs> yeah. like, he's just. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And I don't mean all by all American. I mean, he gets to play a lot of football and. Yeah, a Miles Boykin type season. Yes. Including a game winning bowl touchdown. It's spectacular. From <laughs> Statman72, the starting QB typically arranges or leads off the offseason in seven-on-seven drills. Any idea whether it will be Wimbush or Book doing that this offseason? I mean, I feel like this is sort of like a question from the 90s. Um, Because, like, the coaches are involved in summer workouts now and winter workouts. They're not just – the players aren't just sort of, like, left to their own devices for the entire offseason. So – as much as the coaches aren't there all the time, they pretty much can give them a script to work on. So I would think it would be Book and Wilbush. I, I don't think that's going to be... I realize everyone wants off-season updates about like how workouts are going. Like, tell us what's happening behind the scenes. But like, whether Brandon Wilbush calls the team in or Ian Book calls the team in, whoever throws the first pass or whoever throws the first interception of a 7-on-7 seven seven in the summer really is not going to make a whole lot of difference. So I think the answer is going to be both. They'll both do it. Uh, and we won't really learn anything about the pecking order at the quarterback position because of it. I can't believe they have another quarterback controversy. <laughs> it's a competition, O'Malley. It's unbelievable. It's a competition. <laughs> it really is. Don't you think? Just what in the world? Well, well, I mean, we're in year nine. Yeah, it, it's happened more often than it hasn't. So, it's like, stop why is, at some point if, <laughs> if something happens sixty-seven percent of the time and then it happened again, would you be like, I can't believe that happened again? No, of course it's going to happen it, again. But is that atypical for any program? I mean, you're. You, you, I feel like it's happened more here than it should. <laughs> to the senior incumbent. <laughs> well, it should. Like, it shouldn't have happened with Kaiser. It, it absolutely should not have happened with Kaiser and, and Zaire. That should that should not have happened. Right. I mean, the years that they haven't had it have been Reese's senior year in 2013 yeah, when Golson was suspended. They would not have had one had Golson not been suspended. So, in fairness, Golson would have been the quarterback. That right. Year, so, they would not have had one no hey, matter what. Florida has a quarterback controversy every year because all of them stink. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I feel like it's rare that teams that have quarterback open quarterback competitions have good quarterbacks, regardless of who wins <laughs> it. Um, so it's a, a it's a concern. Sorry to take us off track there, but it's amazing. Yeah, CMU Penns fan with Dexter Williams allergic to blocking and Tony Jones Jr. struggling this year to stay healthy. What sort of back are the Irish getting in Jameer Smith? One who will play. I mean, he'll he'll get a lot of work, whether C.J. Holmes is part of the, the equation or not. And Jameer Smith, if he has 
football IQ at all, I think he'll be okay um, as a freshman running back. It, you know, 50 carries, able to go close in, a, close out a game. You know, are you going to put him in against Michigan? Most certainly not. But I think during the course of the season, I think Jameer Smith will be better next year than Deion McIntosh was last year. Without the stats. Yeah. Regardless of the production, I think he'll be a better back. I think he is more talented and brings more to the table than what McIntosh did. They're they're totally different styles of back. But I just... I like Jameer Smith more than McIntosh. Do I like him more than C.J. Holmes? Probably not. Um, assuming C.J. Yeah, Holmes gets I mean, back think, and sort of gets things I think Smith, out. Smith is a sturdier... <clears throat> A sturdier, sturdier running back, although McIntosh was in his second year last year. Um, you know, I, I, I think you have concern about leverage when you're a small, when you're a, a shorter back. I mean, how tall is he? Six feet. Is he that if tall? He okay, if well then that then not. that shouldn't be. They an all issue. shrink. So I, he's five eleven. Yeah, right. you should look like Tony Jones, really. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I saw some clips. I guess I, I was checking out some stuff, and I saw some clips where I didn't. He didn't look quite as explosive through the hole as I as I think I thought the first time I watched him when I reviewed him. I'm just not really sure. I'm this. It's great that we get a chance to see him early. Yeah, that's a really he's, worked out well. He's here. He the, yeah, early. you wouldn't have thought here. that. Right, you would, yeah, you wouldn't have thought. Well, what do they need another running back? But yeah, it it it'll give us all in Notre Dame, the coaching staff, obviously, an opportunity to really evaluate more, more him. Important. Yeah, more importantly, uh, it'll give Autry Denson and the rest of the guys making decisions on running backs a, good, a really nice opportunity to get a good look at him this spring. I'm trying to figure out how we can decide if he had a better year than McIntosh if I don't include productivity, which I offered Pete as an out because no, no, McIntosh had an awfully productive year. You're, you're, I like you're working on, on your bet. Your, Bets already. Yes, this Jameer Smith is apparently involved in it. But uh, I like Deion McIntosh. Um, obviously, he's not. I mean, he won't come back, and I don't think he'll be. I, he was not the right body type for his running style. So in that way, I agree with you. Oh, he's a put <laughs> he, your head down. His in style the, of running his, was running. Yeah, I, I just don't. He didn't have enough wiggle. He didn't have enough for his right. body. He broke size. some tackles. He, yeah, when but he, he had wasn't big enough to to do that for as a lead back. For 250 carries, but he was the right guy for the amount of carries he was getting. So I thought he was good in that role. Um, but I think that Smith is a more is more will be a more sturdy downhill runner than Deion McIntosh turned himself into. So in that way, I kind of agree with you. Other than that, I don't think he'll be close to. I mean, Deion McIntosh had a pretty good year because he ran behind. Yeah, that he offensive did. line. But that's everybody ran behind that offensive so you, line, right? They all did. That's you run behind who you run behind. So. So there's Tony Jones, there's Jameer Smith, there's Mick Asaf. You guys have written off Dexter Williams? No, but Dexter Williams has to prove to the coaching staff that he can be trusted to play football for Yeah, him. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean he's gotta be he's gotta be able to block, he's gotta be able to stay healthy. Look, we've all seen how explosive he can yeah. be. You know, LSU just they weren't ready for for the quickness of him, uh, uh, how quickly he hit the hole. I'm gonna borrow from Pete to me. If something always happens like Dexter Williams getting pulled from a game after one mistake or getting hurt. Why would it not keep happening? Yeah. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> he plays a pretty volatile position. Because so. he's a senior? Yeah, no, a that, senior. Is, that is the best chance of it not happening. He's a senior. Yeah. And he's well, fast. Last question. Domer61. Only four Notre Dame head football coaches had double-digit tenures. <laughs> Do you think Brian Kelly will join the double-digit club? 
Not this year, obviously. Right. It'll be his ninth year. So um, the question is, does he coach number eight next year? Right. Yeah. It's a it, it's it's a good question. It's veiled properly. Um, <laughs> I say no. I guess. Yeah, I think I have to go against my off-reference Duke column from a couple years oh, ago. Oh, you're not going to stick with your um, original? Oh, come oh, on, O'Malley. No, no, I'm trying to think if he'll coach Notre Dame next year. Tie, though. Yeah, I do have to break the tie. That's key. Will Brian Kelly coach Notre Dame in 2019? I mean, he sees, a light, he sees an opening win. Yeah. Right? Go out on a high note, 50 man. to 49 victory. Open that game. He's <laughs> got an old pal. <laughs> somehow, against... like we said at the top of the show, though, somehow, some way, the matchup isn't going to materialize. You're right, so I'll say no. The football, god, the football gods will not allow me to enjoy watch Brian Kelly coach against Brian Pengorder in a game. Well, you're... <laughs> and he just... In, his in, offense looks incredible. <laughs> well, and in, in again, Rockney, Leahy, Parsegi, and Holtz, you're saying that he's not going to join that group of double-digit years. For it's, a tough, it's a tougher thing to call it right now, because he has such a good year. I mean, that's... I don't think they're going to have a better year this in Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, like, look, I'm excited about what I'm excited about what the defense can do yeah. this year. I mean, can we agree that, like the double digit club is not a thing though? Like <laughs> nobody's like, well, ten years. Oh, you're you're in the same group as you're, you're Rocky right. Lake. You know, you're right because like that just means you're just around. It just means you've also it it it, it means that this job weighs on you for 10, 11 years, and that's why every people get out. But that doesn't sure. mean he has to get out right now. Yeah, yeah. and I think it, for somebody from my generation, it's a little bit different because you knew how many. I grew up. We knew how many Rockney had coached and Leahy and sure. Parsegian. How how hard the job was on Air Parsegian. It the job act, absolutely drove him to retire at an early age. He was fifty. He was in his early 50s, I want to say, when he retired. I don't think this job would drive Brian Kelly to retire after this year, though. No, you know? I don't. No, I don't. Well, no one. No, I mean from Notre Dame. I'm saying. I'm saying. I don't think it would. He would have to have a bad year. I mean, isn't like? Yeah, the, I'm not yeah. saying he's going to. Yeah. The job's a lot harder when everyone expects you to win 10 games every year, and if you don't, it's like, well, that was a disaster. Now it's like, okay, eight eight wins. Let's let's build on that for next year. I think I just think the expectations around here are a lot lower for Notre Dame football. Than they were, certainly when Parsija was here, and probably definitely when Holtz was here yeah, too. Yeah, I, I guess so. But people didn't react to an eight and two season. You know, I mean, for for Parsigi and a you know a, a a two loss season was a bad season, but people didn't react to it the way they do now. There no, you know, I mean, you you understand? I mean, yeah, there, no, there wasn't a voice for it. Either. No, no. I mean, I'm sure there was, but door. it was it was a, a, a lot quieter and smaller in nature. <laughs> All right. We could answer that question for a long time right here. This is probably will be. That's true. Probably will be. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider. We will be back next week. The second National Signing Day is coming up uh, about a week and a half away, February 7th. And uh, at that point, we probably should have some access to Brian Kelly. Certainly on signing day, if not before, to talk about Jeff Quinn and uh, Terry Joseph, the new safeties coach. So. Until our next podcast next week, Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, Tim Priester, thanks for listening.